So there's four more chapters left in Mark, and today is going to be super interesting because uh, we're talking about Mark chapter 13, which is talking about the end of times. So if you've ever been interested in like how the world's going to end, I don't have all the answers. Um, there's some really good movies out there, like 2012, which didn't happen, and uh, all these other things. So in case you didn't know, it's 2019. And um, so go watch some movies, and maybe you can understand how it ends through there. Also, this is kind of lagging today, so it's, and it's really bad quality, so, so I'll apologize for that. But so today, I don't have all the answers. Um, and so what I encourage you to do after this class and every other class that we teach, like last week, I made some interesting comments about angels and stuff and um, had to go back on that. So what I encourage you to do every week is just go study this for yourself because you're going to learn more and more as you grow closer to Jesus about this stuff. And it's important for you to form your own theology because you and I might disagree about some things, and which is fine. Um, and there's some things where you have to draw a line in the sand. There's some hills you are supposed to die on. Um, but sometimes like it's good to have your own opinions about things different from other people. So about the end of times, that's definitely true. And we're going to look at that today. So I encourage you to take out a phone, take out um, some like pen and paper, take some notes, because somebody's going to ask you one day as a Christian, they're going to say, what's going to happen in the end? And you need to have some kind of good theology to be able to answer that. Like, how's the world going to end? Is it going to blow up? I don't know. Is it going to flood? No, there's a rainbow. Is it going to do something? I have no idea. So, take some notes. This is really important. Do something. Um, or at least act like you're taking notes. So it makes me happy. All right, so Mark chapter 13. And we'll do verses uh, 1 through 4. I will take this. <clears throat> As Jesus was leaving the temple... One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, so he's changed positions now from the temple to the Mount of Olives, opposite of the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? So what temple are they at? And it says the temple. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just making sure. It's in, it's in the magnificent, great temple. So what had happened with this temple was Solomon had built it, but Herod the Great had added on to it. And so now, after Herod added on to it, it was like almost double the size of where it was before. So when Solomon built it, it was already great. It was huge. It was magnificent. It was like the, the most greatest structure that had ever been built in the history of times. It was, it was huge. It was built to like exact precision. But then Herod added on, and people like worshipped Herod because of that, because like, oh, we have this new builder that's done all these great things. And so he had used these huge, massive stones and all these wonderful jewelry and gold and all of these amazing things, and now people were just in awe of what Herod had built. And so when people looked at that, what they thought was, one, this is where God lives, is the temple for Jews. That's where they went to worship God. And two, there is nothing that could ever take down this temple. Nothing could ever destroy it because it is so great. It's huge. It'd be like uh, Empire State Building isn't like the tallest building anymore, is it? What's the tallest building in the world? Where's that at? So it'd be like that getting knocked down. So, yeah, you can Google a picture of that. Um, so, he's saying even though it was great, it would be destroyed. Now, this is prophecy for what's going to happen in a few years. Um, so, I have a question. This is just a knowledge. Did anybody, anybody know when this happened? Around the time when this temple would be destroyed? It's like a certain date. And it's, kinda, it's important to biblical history 
for sure. Mm -mm. AD something. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, AD 70. Wow, that's the Holy Spirit telling you that. Um, so, people argue, usually it's AD 70, some people say AD 66 to 70. So, what happened was there was a dude named Titus, and he led this revolt that eventually just like destroyed the temple. I mean, like, there wasn't like anything left. They desolated the whole place of Jerusalem. They grounded it, leveled it. And so this is what happened in AD 70. So the prophecy became fulfilled later on and this temple was destroyed. And so the disciples now, this is passed before this, before the temple is destroyed, are curious to when all these things are going to happen. Because they hear Jesus talking about this, and Jesus does this a lot. As he talks about things, but they don't really understand when it's going to happen, what this looks like. And so what they do is ask for a sign, like they usually do, and say, tell us when these things are going to happen so we can get prepared, so we can be ready, so when these things actually come, we'll be able to know how to handle ourselves and act in a way that's going to make God happy. So tell us. So here's how Jesus replies. He says to them, Instead of answering their question directly, he says this. He says, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be, an earthqu there will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what you are going to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So here's a question that you can debate or talk about or fight. We'll make a ring right here. Is Jesus talking about something that has already happened or that is going to happen in these passages? So just look back, take a second. Verses 5 through 13. Watch out for, but you know to watch out for those things because they're going on presently. Yeah, I mean, the false prophets. You know, you know. Mhm. Mm yeah, it's a good idea. I'm not going to say anybody's right or wrong right now. Any other thoughts? Something that did happen, or is going to happen, or has happened? Have there been wars? Yeah. Already? Has anybody like whispered in your ear? There's going to be a war. Rumors of war. No? Okay. I don't think people do that. Hey, Houston, there's going to be a war. Yeah, so that's awkward. Anyways, um, what else does it say is going to happen? There's going to be earthquakes. Do we have earthquakes today? Do we have famines around the world? Nation against nation? Um, kingdom against kingdom? So it says all these things are going to happen. Now it looks like since Jesus has returned to heaven... And now, 2019, things like this have been happening. We even see this today. Just like, go, go to the news and look at in the past week. You can find some of these things that have happened. Earthquakes somewhere. Um, famines. There's kingdoms that rise up against kingdoms, nations against nations. I mean, look at America, for goodness sakes. I mean, like, we're already doing that, in a way. So, there's things that are already happening um, that, that Jesus is talking about. And then he gives us a warning about being flogged and stuff. So, we'll kind of walk through that. So, the, the end of times, when he gets to this... 
Watch out, he says, or be on your guard, depending on your translation. Because he says there's many people that are going to be claiming to be the Messiah. There's many people that are going to be claiming to be the Christ during this time. And so from the time of Jesus to the time of now, I don't have really great examples, but you can look them up if you want to. There are people that have claimed to be the Messiah, the one that was supposed to come. Um, the one that was supposed to fulfill all the prophecy and do these things, but they ended up dying and nothing really happened to them. So... It was Jesus, hint, hint, in case you wanted to know. Um, and people have done this before, but again, it's something that somebody else might do in the future, and it's going to talk about this later on in the chapter, that somebody's going to deceive, because Satan is an angel of light. He likes to deceive people, and so he can use other people in order to bring down Christians, to bring down um, God's people, and make people believe that, oh, this guy is actually Jesus, not the one we read about in Scripture. And so there are people that will claim and have claimed to, be, to do that. And so he says, watch out, be in your guard. There's going to be important words throughout the rest of this chapter. Then he says, wars and rumors of war, and so and earthquakes and famines. And he doesn't mean that like when you hear of a war starting, so say we have a war in four years against somebody, I don't know. Say that happens. That doesn't mean that like, the world's about to blow up. Okay, so like don't get scared. Or if you fear, like if we go in a famine in America, that's not going to just like, immediately have like Jesus isn't gonna come back right in that moment when you're like hungry I get hungry all the time so if I if I thought Jesus was coming back every time I got hungry I would be living like an insane asylum and um, so he says don't think that this is gonna be a time when Jesus comes back he says these are birth pains so this is the time leading up to when all these things are going to happen. These things must happen. There's got to be wars. There's got to be famines. There's got to be all these things because what he's saying is there's going to be suffering and suffering should be expected before Jesus comes back. These things are just going to have to happen before like the good and righteousness and great and powerful and everything's fulfilled before all that happens. We're going to have some hard times. And he's not talking just about the world. He's talking about Christians too. Um, and I was going to mention some more of that in this chapter. So there's a phrase in here. There, there's like a part. What is it? What do you think the most important thing in this this verses five through seven is? There's like a phrase. It's actually in this slide. Be on your guard. Yeah, that is definitely the most important thing. To be on your guard. To watch out. And here's the reason why. And I'll I'll just say this a few times today. Really, it doesn't matter how it's going to end. Like, it just, it just doesn't. Just know that it's going to happen in some way. That Jesus is going to return, that things are going to happen, but it really doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that when that happens, you're prepared for Jesus to come back. That is the only thing, and that's what Jesus is worried about, too. So instead of, did he, well, instead of answering their questions directly about when this is going to happen, what the signs are going to be like, the exact moment, instead what he tells them is just be ready because when this happens, you need to be prepared. You need to be in right standing with God. And this is the most important thing. He doesn't tell them because what would happen if he told them right when he comes back? What would, what would people do? What if what? So say what if he said, okay, the, I'm going to come back in 1861. What would people do in 1861? They'd all get back Yeah, they'd get right with God in like 1861. If Jesus said, I'm coming back 1861, May 4th, people would get baptized on May 3rd. Just like, that's just what would happen. They'd like, live a life of sin, and then like the day before, they'd be like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to get right. You know, I've, done, I've already done this crazy stuff. So, that's what happened. So that's why he doesn't tell them like the date, because he always wants us to be ready. So, just at any moment of your life, he wants to be ready. He's going to talk a lot more about this, and a lot of this chapter is just the same. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So, look at verses 9 and 11. 
Where do we witness these things happening in the Bible, in the New Testament? There's a book. Um, what book? Revelation. Revelation, but like, it ex goes on to explain it more in detail. This actually happened to people. Yeah. Yeah, the book of Acts. Because what happens without the book of Acts? Yeah, people get beat, people get arrested, people, all these things happen, um, and they're persecuted. Yeah, it talks about it in Revelation as well. But when we see this happen after Jesus ascends back into heaven, it's what happens in Acts. As all these things are happening, people getting arrested, people getting beat. We see like the stoning of all these people and Stephen. And then verse 10 in the prophecy, um, somebody read verse 10 really quick. I don't want to go back in the thing. Okay, so, no, 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 that's exactly what I wanted. Why is this important? Yeah, everybody had a chance, has a chance. So, here's a question. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, for sure. Just rely on it if, if we don't actually, you know, put the effort towards it. Yeah. So. You have a job to do. Right. Yeah. And if, so it doesn't want them to give up. So as of 2019, as of today, how many unreached people groups do you think are still left in the world? Not that many? How many is not that many? Okay. Then I'm talking about people that aren't saved. I'm talking about people that have never had a chance to hear the gospel or like, okay, 70, 80%? I mean, if you think of all the false religions that are practiced, I mean, most of them are born and raised in it, and then their parents are born, you know, it's like us. Mm -hmm. But they probably never heard. Yeah. You know, I mean, some, some religions mention Jesus, but in terms of him being a savior in the gospel, mm -hmm. for sure. Okay, super large amount. America, not so much. Or not as high. Yeah, a lot of people have had a chance. What were you going to say, Bailey? No, I feel like, I don't know, maybe this is just like privilege speaking, but Go for I it. feel like with the technology and stuff that we have now, it's pretty hard not to at least hear it. It doesn't mean that you're being fed or that you're being like, you're really given an opportunity to see like the whole of it, but... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you googled it. Oh. Uh, oh yeah. What does your number say? Wait, wait. Does anybody have an opinion before she reads her number, or like a guess? Okay. What is it? Oh, what? Yeah. And we 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 had a thing that, that was called the cooperative program, and it was our goal by the year 2000 to reach all the unreached people groups. So, at the and I've been here for six years. So at the last time that I knew of things like that, it was about 1,200 people groups. Mm. So when you said that, I thought I know there's a number, and this one says uh, 50 unreached people groups. Comprise 1.48 billion people. 
So our numbers are different. So you're wrong. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so what I looked up from the Joshua Project, whose oh, goal? Oh, okay. Wow, they're, they're lying to us. <laughs> so what I read was, and then I looked up a few other ones too, but I don't know. We'll check that later. Multiple websites that I checked and people said is about 7,000 people groups are still unreached. And this was back in 2016, this latest research. So right now it's probably anywhere, I, I don't know if it's 50, but probably between 6,500 and 7,000 people that have been unreached. And what this means is like people groups are groups of people that less than 2% of their group are Christian. So like, say if, uh, let's just let's put it down to a state. So if only 2% of people were Christians in Tennessee, that would mean that Tennessee would be an unreached people group. So this is what it means for the entire world. Not the population of Tennessee, but just something like that. So, like, this is still a thing. And so the reason that this is important is because Jesus said that all of these people have to at least have an opportunity to hear and accept it or reject it before he comes back. And so, like, we still have missionaries today that are, like, going out and trying to find people that are unreached. And sometimes there's laws against this. Like, if you go, um, I know in, like, South America, I forgot the, the part, but I know it's there. There's, like, a group of people that it's illegal for any outside civilization to contact them because they don't want them to be industrialized. So they still like, use bow and arrows to hunt. Yep, and, and yeah. Mm. Yeah, which is crazy to think about because you think, like, like you, talk, technology has come so far, things have happened, you think that everybody would have a chance to hear it, but there's still people that like, aren't reached and probably won't be reached for a long time, but Jesus said these things must happen. So maybe this encourages you to do missions, go for it, you might be killed, praise God. So I'll pray over you before you go. Um, help our Lord come back. So. But so then it talks about <clears throat> when you're in persecution, when these things are about to happen. So like acts and stuff. We see people speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit when they're before kings and governors and all these other things. Um, a lot of times that we'll see, especially today, there's a lot of churches and a lot of people, people that I've met will use the excuse for lack of preparation saying that the Holy Spirit will give them the words to speak when they get up ready to preach. I've heard that a lot of times. That's crap. And the reason I say that is because the Holy Spirit doesn't just work on Sunday. He works on like Monday and Tuesday too. So if, like, if you're using that as excuse preparation, yes, it works, but only when you're in danger of your head being chopped off. So like, if you're going like, to use the Holy Spirit will give me the words at this moment, well, there's also a like, really good thing called preparation that you can do that too. So if you think the Holy Spirit's going to give you like, the answers to a test, I mean, maybe, but like, you need to study. Um, so... Yeah, so he gives you opportunity. Um, but yeah, a lot of people do use that excuse, and they'll just say, like, I'm going to get up, and a lot of preachers do this sometimes, and, uh, and then they, like, they bomb it on Sunday morning, they don't do a good job. I've, like, heard that. It's like, what happened? Well, the Holy Spirit just failed me. It's like, no, that did not happen, so shut up. Um, and then in verse 12 and 13, uh, the Holy Spirit didn't make this PowerPoint. Like, I did it. I mean, the Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm sorry. But he, like, helps me and gives me life. But, I mean, I had to do this. So, and then he's going to say there's also emotional suffering. Um, so, in verses 12 and 13, where it says, Brother will betray brother, and the father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And all these people are going to hate you. It's like, it's not 
not only going to be physical torment and punishment that's going to happen where people like, like cut your head off and do all these other things, but there's also going to be like family problems where your son's not going to let you and, and maybe even have you put, put to death or something like that. Like the child that, that you raised, your, your wife is going to leave you, your brothers and sisters or people are going to hate you and not accept you. I mean, that, it even happens today when people accept Jesus and accept the gospel that sometimes you just have to like put the hand up to people that you've been around for a while and say, I'm a Christian now and I can't do that. And it separates you and that's hard and it's difficult and it's no fun. But it's worth it because it's Jesus and he says these things are going to happen. And, and um, remember, who was, uh, who was Mark writing to at this time? I said it in like the first chapter. What? Yeah, Roman Christians. So what was happening to the Roman Christians at this time? Think back to the first week we were in here. First week we were in here. And Roman Christians were facing... Yeah, so they're facing persecution. So writing to them through this was Mark giving them encouragement to say, hey, these things are going to happen, but it's going to be worth it. Because in verse 13 it says, All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so like he's saying to these Roman Christians that he's writing to in the moment when this letter goes out, he's saying, hey, when you get put to death, just know that it's okay. You're going to be saved. It's all going to be fine. So this isn't like as real for us. None of us are in danger right now of being killed or punished because we believe in Jesus Christ. The worst thing is that people are going to like look down on you or think you're weird. But I mean, this was real to them in that moment. And it's real to a lot of people, our brothers and sisters in Africa and brothers and sisters in Iraq and Pakistan and all these other places that are happening. I mean, it's real to them that they have to face this stuff on a daily basis. Um, and uh, maybe later. Okay, so verse 14. This is a very interesting part. It says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it doesn't belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. He targeted them. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be the days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. Verse 20, If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom He has chosen, He has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Messiah, or look, there He is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, Christians. So be in your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. So, this is kind of confusing. The abomination that causes desolation. No, it's not a rap song. Even though it's kind of like rhymes, I don't know. It could be like a phrase. Um, but this phrase comes from the book of Daniel, and I put some verses in there, some references. You can go back and look. So, an abomination. This is something that is like detestable to God. Something like really disgusting that God doesn't want anywhere in His presence. And so, that's abomination. Then he talks about desolation. And then what he means by that is that it's caused something to disperse. And primarily what he means is the temple area. So it's standing where it doesn't belong. And so this is like really hugely debated, the abomination that causes desolation, because it can be in like two or three different, different ways. Um, some people think that Jesus was talking about the Roman military, and they would come into the temple and do all these weird practices that didn't work. Um, then uh, when Daniel said this in the book of Daniel, um, Daniel was like the, the revelation writer for the Old Testament. 
So he could see these things happening. So about like 200 years before Jesus came, there was this man who went to the temple and sacrificed a pig on the altar, which would have been awful. And so that was like an abomination that causes desolation because when that happened, they cleared out the temple. So what I'm trying to say is there's like, it could be one thing or it could be three or four different things. That there could be different abominations that causes desolation other than one thing. So this chapter is really confusing. I don't know it correctly. Um, and I can't say anything for certain, but there are some, there are some things I can't say for certain, but not this. Um, or it could be fulfilled by the Antichrist in the ends of times. That, that could be the abomination that causes desolation, that disperses Christians, that disperses the temple area, and all these other things. So, who knows for certain? Nobody can just say, this is how it's going to happen, or this is exactly what it is. Because it's, it's confusing, and we can't like see forward into the future of how these things are going to happen. But the thing that we know is that it is going to happen. And, and that's the most important thing. So, it could be any of these things. And like I said, study about it. We'll talk about it a little bit more. So, like the Antichrist. Let's take this opinion, for example. Um, more than likely, in my opinion, reading this, a large part of this is referring to the Antichrist at the ends of times. And the Antichrist, to me, is really interesting to how this is going to work out. So, according to the prophecy in Daniel, if you go back, Daniel is a prophet. The Antichrist will make a covenant with the Jewish people, but eventually end up breaking it. And so when that happens, when he makes this covenant, the promise is that he will rebuild the temple and that he will do all these things and make sacrifices, but that one day after he builds the temple, a few years later, it will stop, they'll stop making sacrifices, um, and he will disperse all the people, and like all the Jews, they're going to be tricked pretty much by this Antichrist and be sent around everywhere. And so... Um, this hasn't happened yet, uh, but that's prophecy, so if the Bible's true, that means it will come true and these things will happen. And many people think that this will be a politician, um, and so, not that politicians are like bad. Trey's going to be our future governor, president. Um, but people think that this will be a person of like high political power, somebody that's like very charming, very um, powerful, and they can just sway people with his words. And so I'm not sure, it never just says in the Bible it will be a, a Republican or a Democrat. We just won't like say anything like that. But a lot of people think that it will be a politician, somebody that's going to have a lot of power because we see in politics, even the Bible is very political that somebody will be. So I don't know if it would be from America or Germany or whatever, but something might happen. So you can decide that for yourself, but don't like just accuse. If you meet a politician, don't say Antichrist. That would not get you in good standing with anybody. Um, so, but what we know will happen was like those who refuse to be identified with Antichrist in the end of times will be persecuted. Christians that don't stand with him, that stand against him, are going to be persecuted. And you can read more about that in Revelation. It's hard to understand, but buy a commentary and read it. It's important to know. Um, and I just don't have time to explain it today. And um, some Christians will be rescued and others will be martyred at the end of times. So God will come back. It says he'll come back and, and pick up his elect. There's some verses here in a minute that we'll read and that he'll rescue Christians, but some people have to stay and be martyred for their faith. And these things will happen. So, I don't know, growing up, my dad used to like tell me all the time, he said, he would like sit me down and be really serious and he would say, son, I don't think the Lord's going to come back in my day, but probably in your day he'll come back. And I'm like, how do you know that? And so, it's like, I just have this feeling. It's like, well, okay, whatever. But, so, the truth is, could Jesus come back like right now in our lifetime? What's the answer? Yes. yes. Will he come back? 
I don't know. I'm not going to say yes or no because I feel like that's blasphemy of some sorts. Um, because I don't know what God thinks, and only God knows, as we'll see in a, in a few minutes. Um, so, these things will happen. Whether or not they'll happen during our lifetime, I have no idea. Um, I know there's things that have to happen, like the people groups being reached. There's other prophecies that need to come true and be fulfilled. So I can't tell you whether or not this is going to happen in our lifetime. But the only thing that what Jesus says, and we'll read again in a minute, is that we just have to be prepared. So just know in the future, this is my warning. If, like, say, like, we leave church today and then everything just starts happening. If I never see you again, if anybody says they're Jesus Christ, just don't believe them. Okay? Just, like, please. Just call me and be like, should I believe this dude? I'll say, no, don't do it. So, and then he gives, so that's the best I can do. Just come to the house and be like, don't believe this dude. And then he gives us some warnings. He says, these are the do's and don'ts for when you see the abomination that causes desolation coming. He says, do flee to the mountains. So the interesting thing about this is when the temple was destroyed in AD 70, the Jews did flee to the mountains of, uh, I forgot the name of it, but they did. It starts with a P. Um, they, they left Jerusalem and they fled to the mountains, so that was kind of like prophecy for them and things that happened. So this is like less for us and more for them. Then um, it says, don't go from your roof into your house to grab anything. So like, don't try to go back. I don't, don't go back to the house to go get your jacket or your cloak. Don't get pregnant. <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know how you time that one, so good luck. That's my best wishes. Um, and do pray that it won't take place in the winter. Uh, the reason that it says pray that it won't take place in the winter is because, like, this is the best way to understand it. It's like when f things freeze over and then when it melts again, the streams get bigger and they're harder to cross. And so this was like Jesus' warning is it's going to be harder in the winter because if you have to cross a stream and it's like flooding, it's going to be a lot harder and some of you will die. So that's encouraging. Um, huh? Yeah, learn how to swim. Get some life jackets. But so from this, it makes more sense for this to be the Roman army theory that like the thing that causes desolation to come in and take over the temple, um, which happened when the army came in. So for example, if like a guy was out in the field working, he's like, if you see the army coming and you see all these Romans coming to take over, it's like, don't go back to your house to get your jacket. Run away and flee to the mountains. And like, pray this won't happen in the winter because it's going to be hard to get your family across to other places if you have to have cross streams. And it's going to be really bad if you're pregnant too because you're going to have to like have a child in the mountains and it's not going to be pretty. So it makes more sense if this is like the Roman army theory back then. So like I said, there's like three or four different ways this could have happened. Um, it could be talking about the Antichrist. It could be talking about the Roman army. And more than likely what I believe is it's talking about three or four different things leading up to it. Alright, so here's hope. Um, God will shorten the time so the days will be bearable. When these things happen, um, and this is talking about the future again, is like when the Antichrist comes, when these pains come, and when like all these bad things are happening, it says that God will shorten the days. If He didn't, then nobody would be able to survive, is what it says. Uh, but for the sake of the elect, the Christians, the people, and even the Jews, He has done this, and He'll talk about that in a minute. And it's during hard times like this, many people might claim to be the way. Like I said, if this happens right after church today, call me. And it's like, I'll text you and say, that's not him. That's not Jesus. Uh, because in distress and in times of suffering and torment, it's really easy to make bad decisions. And it's really easy to like hold on to false hope and go something to where like you think sounds really good when you're just looking for something to grab onto. So it says, don't do this. 
And then he says, these people that come are going to be able to perform signs and miracles in the future. That Satan, and Satan can give people power to be able to do this. So like healings might happen, weird things might happen. But the most important thing again is to be on your guard or watch out because the important thing is these things will happen and you need to be ready. Alright, uh, verses 24 through 31. The sun will be darkened. Oh, but in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The star stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And He will send His angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twig gets tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it's near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So, verse 24 to 27 is talking about the end times, like the end, when Jesus comes back. In those days, when he says that phrase, it usually talks about the end times, and you'll see that throughout the New Testament. So, eschatology is the study of the end times. That's just good to know when you read that, because you probably will see it somewhere. And so, he's talking about eschatological, I can't say it, eschatological, He's talking about the end times. And um, that these things are going to happen. And he's leading up to all these things throughout this whole chapter. And then in verses 24 and 25, he quotes Isaiah 13.10 and Isaiah 34.4. And so what it seems like is like all these cosmic things are going to happen. Where the sun's going to be darkened, where all these different things are going to happen. So if you see, like, I don't think it's the blood moon, because we've all seen like the blood moon or like the eclipse a few years ago. That doesn't mean that, like, oh, it's happening. Um, but these things will happen is what it says and stars will fall from the sky and these things can be taken figuratively or literal. People haven't come to a conclusion whether or not these things will actually take place. And so, like if it's going to happen exactly like this because a lot of the Bible can be figurative sometimes. So, it might actually turn the sun dark or something. I'm not sure. So, my best advice is to study that and come to your own conclusion about it because I don't know. So don't ask me any questions about that. Um, and Jesus will come with power and glory. And it's just like a really cool thing to see him like riding a cloud. I don't know. Like a machine gun. And then he doesn't need a machine gun. And then verse 28 and 31, he uses a fig tree as an example. And then he says, this generation won't pass away. And what he means by this is better understand the word generation as race. And so... He's talking about the race of the Jews at this point. And so he's also talking about two things, the Jews that are living at the time when he was alive and the Jews now and until the end of time. So like the Jews since he was then and like until the end of times. He's talking about one specific race, the Jews, but there's also hope for Christians as well because now we've been made a way to be in God's kingdom as well. So, what he means is like, there will still be Jews at the end of time with these things happening, and then there will still be Jews alive, and that generation that he was talking to that day did see the destruction of the temple and all these things happen. Alright, last, last segment, and this is all confusing, but at about that day... Um, or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, there's those words again, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells them the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. So he's saying, you just have no idea when Jesus is going to come back, or when this is going to happen. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everybody, watch. 
So, um, he says all these things. He says, uh, only God the Father knows when these things will take place. And it hasn't even revealed to Jesus the Son. That only, only God knows. So, if you want to guess, best of luck to you. It's probably not going to happen when you guess it. I think people have guessed before. Um, but he says, don't get caught sleeping. And the most important thing is stay alert and be ready. So, here's my encouragement. Like I said, this is a really confusing chapter. I don't know everything. And if you ask me questions, I can't answer it directly. And people are still confused. People way smarter than I will ever be are confused about these things. Here's the most important thing I can tell you is what Jesus says. Be ready and be alert. Some of these things have happened, but some of these things are yet to happen. Here's the truth. Jesus is going to come back one day. These things are going to happen. And here's even more truth. And I say this with all the love and like care. It's that some people in this church and maybe even in this class, if Jesus came back right now, you would go to hell. You would. And that's not like something we want to hear. I know it's not. But there's people everywhere on a Sunday morning, like today, that are sitting in church that don't have their life right with God, that aren't in good relationship and aren't close to God's heart, that if Jesus came back right now and called His people, you wouldn't be one of them. And so here's the question. Is your life right with God? Because that is the most important thing. And I don't want to be preachy, but it's important because I want to see all of you in heaven one day. Because if Jesus came back right now, you should be confident in your heart to say that I'm close with God and I'm in a good standing with Him and I'll be, I'll be one of those people that go back with Him. That's the most important thing. So I don't know how things are going to happen. I don't know how it's going to turn out. The only thing I know is that it will happen and that you need to be right with God when it does. So if you do need to be right with God, feel free to talk to me or anybody in this classroom about that because the thing that needs to happen is that you go to heaven one day and that you're, you're with God and that you're right with God right now. So, let's pray together, and uh, we'll end on that, that note. And uh, let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the words of Mark. Um, confusing, uh, yet um, important. And I pray that you um, give us a spirit of wisdom. Uh, help us discern these passages so that we can understand better about how to live the right way and also understand better about the end of times and what's going to happen and what has happened. Um, we'll never know everything, and you're the only one who knows when uh, all these things are supposed to come at the end. And so I just pray that you help us more than anything to get close to your heart, help us to come to know you, help us to come to love you more and more and be faithful and obedient Christians um, so that we can really show our love to you, that we can bring others into the kingdom. So I just pray for our hearts, God. I pray that you convict us each day through your Spirit to help us grow closer to you. And I pray that you give us a heart for the law so that when these things happen, um, that we can say we helped other people come to know you as well, Lord. Be with us. Uh, convict us. Um, break us down only so you can build us up and make us stronger. And I pray that you help us in all aspects to, to love you more deeply um, than than anything else in the world and make you our first priority. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.